Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. With so many of us working remote these days, we're no longer tied to desks in cities, and we have the freedom to actually go out and roam and travel. Uh, well, I know a few people that move around spending a few months in one city or country and then moving to another one. I've never heard of anyone who has incorporated bike touring from Europe to Japan while they are working remotely. Uh, so today I'm really excited to talk to Albert, uh, a software engineer who is who is actually, you know, working remotely and then bike touring on this epic journey. Uh, hi, Albert. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Nice to meet you. So f- first off, just clarify, like the journey you're making, you're ending up in, in Japan, but but where did you start and where are you going through along the way? Well, I started from Tallinn, my hometown, the capital of Estonia. And I actually took a boat to Sweden because I didn't feel like cycling through the Baltic countries. I've been there so many times and it seemed kind of boring. So it was in April of uh, this year, 2022. And uh, on the 1st of April, I, I took a boat and left my home and cycled through Sweden. And then I had to actually take a bus to Berlin because uh, I started my job at the new company, which allowed me to work in such a way. But for the first month, I actually wanted to go to the office and show my face and focus on work a bit. And I spent a month in Berlin and from there, I again took a train to Salzburg, Austria, and from there I've been cycling ever since. And so did your, um, did your employer, did they know that you were going to go on this epic bike journey while working for them? That's a good question. When I applied for the job, I of course didn't say I'm planning to do this cycle across the world. And I wasn't too sure myself when I was applying, but I did ask if they allow remote work from any country. And they said, yeah, sure. As long as you do your job, it should be okay. And at first I thought I'll just keep it a secret, but I was so excited to talk about it. And there was a colleague who also is into bike touring. So I ended up spilling the beans and now everybody knows. And each week they ask me where I'm at now. <laughs> and then and then, how does it work? Like, how do you manage to work a full-time job and bike touring? Uh, I have a schedule where I make distance only on the weekends. So during the week, I, I rent myself an Airbnb or a hotel or something. And then I just uh, live like, like the locals do, work uh, remotely. And uh, on weekends, I pack up and uh, cycle about 200 kilometers to my next uh, destination. And, and so how long will it take you to get all the way to Japan at this pace? I have no idea. Well, actually I do because I calculated it. If I keep going with uh, uh, the current pace, it would be about a bit less than two years. But I'll probably end up skipping a few other countries by train or not the entire countries, but large portions, uh, either because of uh, visa duration problems or uh, me not being able to work from there. When you're thinking of planning your trip, you know, every bike tour, 
they're looking just for can I get can I get some food? Can I get safe water? You know, can I find a place to pitch a tent or stay? But you're looking for a you need to make sure there's good internet. You got to make sure that you know it's a place you want to spend a week. Is it hard to find, you know, which city you want to stay in for a week or, or what's that process look like? Well, in some countries, it's easier than in others. Thankfully, I do not require super good internet for my job. And my employee isn't too strict about me having camera on in the meetings. So as long as like the voice gets through, that's good enough. And for programming, like really, as long as there's some kind of internet, I'm okay. Uh, but finding accommodation can be a bit tricky in some countries, but it never was a big problem. And so what's it like, you know, it looks like you're staying in a hotel right now, but when you're in, in a, a city, do you ever stay in hostels just to be around other people? Or do you find ways to interact with, you know, other people while you're traveling? Or is it is it kind of like, you know, you're you're on your own on this epic adventure? I never stay in hostels because I find it too fun. <laughs> it's impossible to work from there. I'm just uh, interacting with everybody else. So I do try to keep it private and I can focus on, on my work and myself and my hobbies. Currently, this is actually a apartment and this is the living room and there's a sweeping view of the entire city. It's a, it's a lovely place here in Antalya, Turkey. Uh, and I was actually at some, some family there. It's like beautiful weather right now. It's like 25 Celsius, isn't it? It is. It's a bit later now, but still you can just go with a shirt and you'll be completely fine. And so in terms of your spending, you know, because I think a lot of people, they think, oh, I'm going to go on holiday. I'm going to spend all this money. Is it about the same cost as you living if you decide to just be based in Berlin for you to do this trip? Or do you think you spend more? Well, it depends how much you spend in Berlin, but Berlin is a really expensive place. The rent is really bad, even if you want to live like a decent person. So in the Balkan countries and here in Turkey, I'm spending way less. And I'm not even trying to not be cheap. I just live like normal. And it's like I end up saving 70% of all my income anyway. Wow. So like what's an apartment cost in the Balkans or cost? I assume you're in, you know, less, you know, you're not in, you know, Istanbul in the center of Istanbul. But like, what are you paying for an apartment when you're staying in a, in a city? The, the cheapest one in the Balkans was an entire house for six nights for 60 euros. Per night? No, no, the, the entire deal. So that makes it 10 euros per night. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, that is a very good... And what, kind, what part of the Balkans was that in? It was uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina. It was in the middle of nowhere. The nearest shop was like five kilometers away. But I did enjoy the nature there. Wow, wow. So you, you really can, you know, live this life and, and save money then. It's not just, it's not your job to commit to, to spending more. Well, if I was cycling in more pricey countries, it would be, I think, more expensive than being stationary. But because these are countries that are not that expensive, I'm probably saving more money. And so what was your route? For, so from starting in Berlin, what was your route to get to, uh, to Turkey? Okay, so I'll actually pull up a map. Because it has been a while. <laughs> Cycling like this is fun, but it's slow. So, like I said, uh, I took a train to Salzburg, Austria. And from there, from Salzburg, Austria, I went through the Alps south. 
Uh, I stayed in Italy, then I went through Slovenia, uh, Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Serbia, a bit of Bulgaria, and then uh, Turkey. And from Istanbul, I went south and a little bit east, and now I'm in Alanya. And so for the places you've been so far, are there any places that really stick out as, you know, they surprised you by how great they were or places you think, oh, I'd, I could come back here again and really enjoy spending more time? Yeah, definitely. I think when people ask what's my favorite place, I answer usually Sarajevo in uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, the capital. It's a lovely city. It's a mixture of cultures. It's really cheap. The weather was lovely when I was there. And I met many cool people. Uh, I've heard that whole Balkan area is really, you know, quite spectacular. I was talking to some of those in Albania and it was like the photos they were showing me were incredible. I know the West Balkans are, or North, North Macedonia is really beautiful. Uh, did you find that the Balkans as a whole were surprisingly, you know, exceeded your expectations? Yes, I think so. I Before this, uh, I have never been to Balkans, so it was all new to me and it was really nice. It was cheap, the food is good and the nature is beautiful. And because I do speak Russian as well, uh, I could converse with the people at least a little because the Balkan language is similar to Russian. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Now, you embarked on this, you know, massive bike tour along with starting a new job. Before you did this, you know, were you an active bike tour on weekends or had you done other long trips? Uh, I did a couple longer trips, but uh, nothing substantial like this. Just like maybe four days in Estonia, just around the nature and many weekend trips as well. So what was the inspiration? Like, like this seems like a pretty serious undertaking. What was the inspiration to go and cycle to Japan? Well, first of all, I just wanted to go to Japan and I thought I'll buy a plane ticket and go, <laughs> but uh, Japan was closed. So I thought oh, I'll compromise. I'll travel in other countries in the meanwhile. And at first I thought I'll, I'll do the motorcycle touring thing. But then one day in like February, I took out my bike for the first time in, in the cold Estonian year. And I remembered, oh, I like cycling a lot, actually. This is so fun. And then I thought, why bother with an expensive, <laughs> loud motorcycle if I can just cycle there? And uh, I, I never planned to reach Japan, or I thought, like, maybe I'll do, maybe not. But now I took a liking to this entire cycling thing, and I just might complete it. Uh, I, I like just, you know, you're just playing it by ear. Like, there's not this big plan. You have an idea it might happen. In terms of um, doing your work while doing a bike tour, is your setup any different? Like you have a laptop, but is that like the only difference compared to like a regular, you know, person that's doing a bike tour in terms of the gear you'll have? Uh, just this weekend, I actually met some of the cycling tourists, like the real ones who don't work. And they had lots more stuff than me. And the biggest differences are, I think I have no cooking equipment. Because I have money to just go eat out and uh, buy stuff from shops. So uh, I save a lot of room and weight from that. And I have some hobbies with me because you could say I'm bicycle touring or you could say I'm just like living abroad all the time and moving every week. So I have a small piano. I used to play guitar, but I can't take that with me. And like some hobby stuff. 
how small of a piano because uh we have a we have a like a electronic piano but it still is like five feet long is it like one of the it must be one of the ones like a one foot or two foot wide piano it's small it has only 25 keys and it's the type what you plug into a computer uh you know i hadn't thought of it but yeah if, if you aren't camping then you don't need a tent cooking gear sleeping bag mat uh, i am camping oh you, you are camping as well okay so you do have so when you are okay that was one of my questions so when you're doing your bike tour then you are you wild camping then just that's the side that you find a place at the side of the road or are you finding campgrounds uh, I am wild camping and usually I take routes which just go through like straight lines. I don't do many detours and camping spots have been quite easy to find. So you just you just ride until you're tired and then just find a little place in the woods and set up your tent and spend the night there? Yes. Usually I ride from sun up till sundown. Because I have these five days to rest, I can put in a bit more effort on the weekend and uh, make a bit more distance in a day than a usual cycle tour. The more I hear about this, the more logical doing this type of bike touring is. Because one, you don't have the money worries. Two, you don't have the fatigue worries that you're fresh. You have two hard days where you're really excited to cycle. Uh, and then three, you get to explore the places you're in a bit more. Like I know a lot of people when they do around the world, you know, they see a lot, but they don't get to interact really deeply. But, you know, you spend, a, uh, you know, five nights in or five days in a town and you really get to understand the people, the food, the culture. You almost become a bit like a resident of that town. It, like, it, it, is that kind of the way you feel that you really are starting to learn about the places you're visiting much much deeper than you would as just like a regular tourist that spends, you know, a day in a, in a place. Uh, yes, definitely. Because I'm living like everybody else here. And there are some more benefits I'd like to point out to this kind of touring. First is I just get really bored of cycling every day if I did it every day. So it's a like good contrast as well. And I like my job. I like doing it. And I don't have this massive gap in my CV where I cycled around the world. I get to do both and it, it really suits me. It's funny that I have never heard of anyone else doing this because this feels like such a, a good way to approach to approach cycle touring. For people that are, are thinking of doing this, like what do you think are the some things that you've learned that have really helped you be successful doing this? If you do take your laptop and work, I'd recommend to not bother with like a mouse or external keyboards or a second monitor keep it simple like all you need is a laptop i get all my work done on mine just fine uh, some people do like take a liking to their all their office equipment and i don't think you need that actually uh, what else well you, you do need to find a job that allows you to do so and if you find something that doesn't require too fast internet, that's, uh, that will help you a lot. Has internet been a problem? Like, you know, a lot of people don't have the flexibility you have where, you know, they have Zoom meetings or they've got to, you know, always be retrieving files off, you know, a, a Dropbox or a, a Google Drive that, you know, they're constantly working with information. They need high quality internet, uh, internet access. Has that been an issue for you that some of some internet access has been really poor? Yeah, in general, it's poor. 
this place here in Alanya is an exception to the rule, but usually it's just like bad compared to Western standards. Isn't Estonia the best internet in the world? Is, isn't that what Estonia is famous for, for having the highest internet speeds? Well, if not the highest, it's just fast and reliable, unlike, uh, unlike here. <laughs> um, so as you go farther away from your work in Germany, will it become an issue, the time zones? Like I'm thinking, you know, if you're in, you know, Central Asia and you're six hours ahead, will it be hard to make the daily stand-up meetings and, and things like that? Or have you already talked about how you'll deal with the, the time differences down the road? Well, I'm getting to experience some of this uh, right now because Germany did move the time and here in Turkey it wasn't moved. So when it's 9 a.m. in Germany, it's 11 a.m. here. So I get to start my work there a bit later. But again, because I am a software engineer, nobody really cares when I work as long as I do my coding and show up to the meetings. And uh, gratefully, I don't have many meetings. So I don't think it's a big problem. <laughs> and for the later meetings, yes, I'll have to like do some uh, meetings when it's dark outside, but I get to become a morning person for free. Do you find you miss the, the human interaction? You know, do you miss having, you know, people around, family around, friends around? Uh, like I find when I go to like a conference, I find it actually sometimes tough to just, you know, you go to your conference and you come back to your hotel at night. Is that something that you find difficult or do you have, you know, an online community that you connect with? I have some friends who I talk uh, over the internet with back in Estonia. To be fair, yes, it is a bit lonely and you can't have these stationary communities around you, uh, which you might be used to, but it's just a sacrifice I have to make for a while. Like to me, it seems like this is something that could take off where like it's almost you could like I could see just you go into a town and there's like maybe it's like we work maybe there's co-working spaces that you could go to and I guess maybe that's how you'd find community but like on regular cycle touring you meet other people on the road and you can have that kind of bond you know you're going you, you, you cycle together for a day or two but that's hard when you're only going for two days at a time isn't it yeah and uh, I haven't been meeting all that many cycle tourists because I do not keep to any popular uh, routes I just go where I go so are you going on like busy roads as well? Like you mentioned, you're going the most direct route. So does that mean sometimes you're on like, you know, major roads with lorries and lots of traffic? Or are you still kind of stay on, you know, secondary or tertiary roads without much traffic? No, usually it actually means I'm in some mountain on a muddy road and there's maybe a person or two <laughs> per day. And it's physically challenging, but it's rewarding in terms of views and the, the unique culture you see there. Uh, actually, I remember the woman who, one of the women who was on our podcast who cycled around the world, she said about in the Balkans, there was a, a line on a map and it was like, you know, it was the straightest line to where they were going and they like literally went over a mountain and on the other side, the trail was, there was no trail, it was just mud and they spent like eight hours <laughs> getting down to another road. Uh, so I, 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 my feeling is the roads in the Balkans, especially, uh, some of them are just, you know going right over mountains and down mountains and there's nobody on them, isn't it? I did experience that uh, a bit in the Balkans, but it's great fun and uh, <laughs> a good challenge. So so you're in Turkey now. What are your plans for the winter? You know, where, where do you see yourself going next? Uh, I have a flight to Estonia from uh, Georgia 
just for the New Year's to see family and friends and stuff. Maybe I'll go through Berlin to see my work buddies. So I guess I'm going to Georgia now and uh, I'll just leave my bike there and then come back. And from the Armenia, Azerbaijan and Iran and so on. I've never been to Georgia, but I know it's a very mountainous country. Won't it be chilly in winter for bike touring? Like I'm, I'm thinking there'll be snow on the ground or it'll be, you know, close to zero weather or is Georgia still quite warm in winter as well? Well, I don't know. I've been to Georgia twice, but not in winter. So <laughs> I'll see for myself. But my thinking is I'm from Estonia. It gets really nasty there in the winter. I'll be probably fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I used to bike to or I used to bike to work in all seasons in Canada. And, you know, I had these like special neoprene booties and these special gloves. And the truth is on, on cycling, once you get moving, you get warm. And so I always felt like cycling to work, I was, you know, warm in 30 seconds. I also had to climb a hill right from my house. And I was, I was warmer cycling to work than I was in a car. And so I guess you might have that as long as you have the right gear, you know, you'll be, you'll be toasty warm, but what a story to cycle through, uh, Georgia and Armenia in winter. I've, I've never heard of anyone doing that. That's really interesting. I was in Sweden in April and uh, the weather did get a bit nasty there. And uh, my thinking is the worst kind of weather is right above zero where it uh, rains or snows or something in between and there's wind and, uh, uh, you're never really dry and sometimes in the night instead of uh, drying off your stuff just freezes off and i think that's the worst kind of weather and maybe i'll get to experience some more of that who knows uh, i couldn't agree with you more i hate cycling in rain and then yeah like i do a lot of ski touring and the worst is at night when all your your boots freeze your all your shirt your coat everything freezes and it's similar when you're bike touring if it rains or sleets all day and then it's below zero um Oh boy, that would be a, a tough, a tough day. This is just such a cool thing you're doing, Albert. Uh, I'm so glad we got we got to chat about it. Any last thoughts? So if people are listening to this, your first kind of six months doing this, has it been everything you'd hoped for? Well, I went with the mindset that it'll be whatever it'll be. If I don't like it, I'll do something else. If I like it, I'll continue. And so far, I'm liking it and I will continue. But who knows, maybe I'll get bored or, or sick or both. And then I'll just buy a plane ticket to Japan <laughs> and uh, live a normal life again. Who knows? <laughs> uh, it's funny. I was thinking just, just now about this winter and I talked to um, the fellow who spent seven years walking around the world. And so he just literally walked around the world for seven years. And he said the hardest was actually walking back in March across the prairies in the U.S., and what he said was like the sun would rise at eight, it would set it set at five, and he would just spend all this time alone in his tent every night. Um, and it's interesting because you're going to go into the hardest part now. Uh, but I like, you know, your whole approach is if it sucks, I'll go do something else, which is just such a like, you know, so many people get get focused on the destination. I got to do this. But you're just focused on if I'm having fun, I'm going to keep doing it. If I'm not having fun, I'll fly to Japan. <laughs> it's, it's such a great approach to doing this. And uh uh, I've loved hearing about this, Albert. Thanks for sharing your trip. And uh, I can't wait to see more of it uh, online. Well, if you do want to see more of it online, I have a YouTube channel. Uh, it's uh, Orzelius and then the symbol for two in Japanese behind it. 
and uh, I have three videos on there right now. I, I find them good quality and you can go judge for yourself as well. Definitely. And I'm going to put a link into the show notes of that. And they are really fun uh, videos. Um, and with that, uh, thanks for listening to this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear more epic adventures. Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. If you liked it, why not give us a review? Better yet, subscribe and get inspired again and again. Also, if you want to find your own adventures, why not check out 10adventures.com where you can use our free resources to plan your own trip or book a tour in over 60 countries and make your own epic memories on your next adventure.